The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They don't reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, lighten the fuck up. Enjoy. Now, Crown Vic. Oh, hey there. Welcome to the 36th edition of the Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. This is going to be a little bit different podcast than we normally do, or I think it's going to be different. I haven't recorded it yet. I'm a, yeah, I'm a busy guy. I'm in the between naps, so I got to do this while my kiddo is napping. But first, let's get to the folks that are making this podcast possible. And um, I guess by a stroke of luck, it really fits in with the topic of this podcast. And that's our friends over at Officer Privacy. I've been working with them for a while now. This is something, if you're still on the road, this is something you need, guys. Um, I can't preach it enough. But Officer Privacy has software that allows you to quickly remove your personal information from the Internet. Use their software free for 14 days. Or their team of LEOs will remove your information for you. And I will uh, have a link to those guys on the description of the podcast. And, of course, it will be on my page, too. Officer privacy, definitely check those guys out. It's well worth it. So this episode, we'll be talking to Christina Dagas, which I hope I didn't butcher her name, but I've never done that before. And you guys, most of you guys, or maybe none of you guys have been following that case out in Southern California. So her husband is charged with making a false report involving an incident that occurred in May just after the George Floyd situation. And my personal take on it is her husband's absolutely getting railroaded. I've been paying attention to the case really since the beginning. I've seen, in my humble opinion, because you have to take all these things with a grain of salt, right? Everything you see in the news and the media, even on people's Facebook, Instagram pages, you have to do your own independent research. From what I've found, I'm on his side. I haven't seen anything to lend me to believe that he committed the crimes that he's accused of. It's a nightmare situation. And, you know, I'm going to let her explain it. I'm not going to go into the ins and outs of it. But this type of situation right here is one of the big reasons I left the city I left. You guys have listened to the podcast long enough. You know I'm I'm on the fence about going back. But if you work for a place where they're going to throw you under the bus, this could happen to any of you. Any of you. Now, the timing on this one, I think, honestly had a lot to do with George Floyd, and there was a lot of angry people, and somehow uh, Officer Dages got fucking thrown into that, which we've talked about that on the podcast before, right? Everybody, anybody wearing a uniform is fucking Derek Chauvin now. So this is a a happy subject for your uh, Thanksgiving I wasn't going to put out a podcast, but then I thought about it and I was like, well, that's stupid. You guys will be out driving or, I mean, fuck your cops. You'll be working. So you need something to get you through. So uh, listen to this. Make your own decisions about what's going on. Do your own independent research. I think he's absolutely being railroaded. And I know Christina has been on a bunch of other podcasts, so I don't know if there's any cross-pollination. But obviously you get my poorly made take. 
I'm actually a little nervous because it's like a real podcast I'm doing this time. So hopefully I don't disappoint you guys. Anyway, I hope you guys all have a good Thanksgiving. You know, if you can, you're off, spend time with your family because that's obviously what's important. And uh, enjoy the show. All right. And the moment you've all been waiting for, I have Christina Degas on the horn. How are you tonight? I'm great. I'm so excited to be here. Now, let's be honest here. Out of all the podcasts you've been on, this is probably the worst one, right? The worst one depends on your definition of worst, but I've been looking forward to this one, especially. Well, I'm glad. And uh, I don't know if you know this, but this is going to be the Thanksgiving episode. So mm. people can drive around and to their in-laws and be angry at the world. <laughs> be extra angry. I like oh, yeah. it. Yeah. They're going to get to their in-laws and be in a bad mood and then I'll finish this and then be in a bad mood when they leave <laughs> and it'll be great. So yeah. for those that don't know who you are, can you introduce yourself? I've been following the case, well, your case, which you're going to explain in a second here for a while, but I don't know if everybody else knows who you are and what's going on with you. Sure. Um, so I'm a police wife. My husband is Matthew Degas. Um, he, in 2020, he was a police officer for the La Mesa Police Department, which is in San Diego, California. Um, and so just two days after the George Floyd incident, my uh, husband was working a trolley enforcement detail. Um, he was assigned to be there with other police officers from the department, and their job was just to talk to everyone on the property and make sure everyone had a ticket to ride the trolley. So he contacts someone, which should have been just a very routine law enforcement contact, but because this person was just unreasonable, combative, did not comply with demands, um, it resulted in a very low-level use of force, which was later justified, uh, but this subject posted a video of their interaction on the internet with the hashtag George Floyd and the video went viral. So that kind of touched off um, what's been the last 18 months of our lives. Uh, you know, there was obviously a use of force IA um, and it kind of also led to um, protests and riots, really the city burned down again, because it's two days after the George Floyd incident. Um, so our lives have been upside down ever since that happened. Um, and so I've just been pounding the drum and really uh, lifting my voice to set the record straight about what happened that day um, and kind of what people can do to, to get behind us and to hold the line and to protect and defend the policing profession. Because now more than ever, it feels like we're all kind of under attack for just doing your jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I alluded to this in my intro to the podcast. This is a case that I've paid attention to, and it was definitely in the back of my mind when I made my decision to leave. Let's kind of, let's run through the numbers. So let's talk a little bit about what happened that day that kind of set this firestorm off. Yeah. Um, so I kind of like set up the interaction. So my husband approaches this person. They are on a metropolitan, I think it's transit system, MTS for short. So this person is standing on MTS property. My husband approaches him, asks him for a trolley fare, which is literally what my husband is assigned to do and be there doing that day. So this person doesn't have a trolley pass. They are detained, but they refuse to, I mean, you know how it works. They're supposed to just provide your name and date of birth. It's very simple. It's very reasonable. And this person, for whatever reason, just refused to do that. They um, attempted to walk away during the detention. They smacked Matthew, um, and then they resisted arrest because you can't assault a police officer. That's illegal. Well, so, it's supposed to be illegal. And I know in this day and age, one really never knows, but, um, but yeah, so unfortunately, you know, this person's behavior alone 
escalated this situation to require a very low level use of force. So Matthew uses his hands to keep the subject seated until other officers arrive to effect the arrest. So like I said, a video of just that use of force portion um, was posted online and the hashtag George Floyd made it go viral. So basically protesters kind of activated immediately. They went to our personal house. Um, there were multiple protests at our home actually. So our personal information was doxxed online because we made the mistake of not making sure that it was protected. So uh, multiple protests at our home and death threats. And then there was protests at the police department as well, um, which you know we all saw how last summer played out. Those peaceful protests devolved into looting and vandalism and arson. There were several buildings that burnt down in La Mesa. Again, what should have just been a very routine, normal law enforcement contact really devolved into a politically charged incident that honestly has just like held my husband's life hostage. It's, it's held our sense of normalcy hostage now for a year and a half. Yeah. And remember they're fiery, but mostly peaceful protests <laughs> learned on the news. So I, I wanted to dive in and, and there's a whole lot to talk about with what's going on with you guys, but we'll, we'll kind of start on the actual incident itself in the use of force. So when he's working at the I guess the train station is what I'm going to call it because it's easier for me. Mm -hmm. You say it was a trolley? Trolley, yeah. Are there still trolley? Like, are we talking like the actual trolleys with like the bells and whistles and stuff like that? They're a bit more modern and sophisticated. Um, and it's like this whole transit system throughout San Diego that you can get like up and down the coast. And you can get like across the county with these things. Uh, but it's the same concept. Yeah, it's like a trolley. Okay. So the trolley, I, I can't stop thinking about like Mr. Rogers now. <laughs> Where was Mr. Rogers when this was going down? Right. So is this gig, is this something where he's on duty for this? Or is this like an extra duty, off-duty assignment? Yeah, this is on duty. Um, it's a The trolley station at La Mesa is very high crime. Um, so these are regularly occurring details that officers are assigned to work, right? Because having a police presence in an area that's high crime is really good for preventing crime. Um, so this is, you know, he's, he, it's during the day, he's assigned to work there. And this is a, a detail that the department regularly assigns to just keep that area safe. Okay. And is he there by himself or is he working with a team of other officers? He's working with a team. I think there was like four or five officers there that day doing what he was doing, just contacting everyone on the property to make sure they have a trolley pass. Okay. Now, someone that doesn't have a trolley pass, is that something that could be potentially something they could be detained for as far as like a good ticket for that? It's rare to get ticketed for that. Like my understanding is that if you get ticketed for not having a trolley pass, it's because you were being an asshole. Um, usually it's just a detention. They run your name, date of birth. If you don't have any outstanding warrants or something like that, it's an educational moment. You know, hey man, to be on this property going forward, please know you have to have a trolley pass. Um, and then you're you're free to go. So it's really kind of just like a moment, like a like a contact with the community moment. It really doesn't escalate into anything else if you're a normal citizen complying with demands and you don't have any outstanding warrants. Okay. So, and for the cops out there, like I was actually listening to give a shout out to 10-8. I was listening to his podcast with you and that was just something I thought about. So for cops, to, for us to understand when, you know, we can't just contact anybody for any reason. It, we can, it's a consensual contact, but in a case where there's actually a crime, even a traffic incident, traffic infraction, which 
I don't know anything about California law, but I would assume not paying trolley fare is somewhere on a low level. It's still something that cops can detain somebody for because it's a crime and they could be charged for it. So I just, I wanted to get that out there because I don't know if everyone understands that point. Am I correct mm -hmm. in saying that? You're correct. Well, the reason for the contact was because he thought he was smoking, right? Is that, do I remember that right? Kind of. So he, it's an observation that he has from a distance. He sees this person raising, and I think he writes in his police report, what appears to be like a lit smoking, a lit cigarette or a smoking device to his mouth. So he approaches this guy and he says, hey man, you can't smoke here. And the guy goes, well, I'm not smoking. Matthew does a quick scan, doesn't see like a cigarette or anything or like a vaping device. And so he moves on in the conversation and he goes, all right, well, what are you doing here? And the guy goes, oh, well, I live here. And so Matthew asks, okay, well, what apartment? Cause there's like apartments beyond, or it's on MTS property, but it's like in the background. And so at that point, the guy responds with, oh, well, no, I don't live here. I'm just waiting for friends. Right. And so Matthew asks, okay, do you have a trolley pass? You're on MTS property. The guy says, no, that's the detention right there. So a lot of people, well, a lot of people that are committed to, you know, being anti-cop or thinking, my husband's a racist, what have you, they kind of like to dig their heels in on like the smoking observation. But the reality is, is that observation is not material to why this person was detained. It's not material to why this person was arrested. And so it doesn't matter. It's not really relevant here. Gotcha. Now we'll get to the, cause obviously your husband's been criminally charged and we'll get to all that later. So after this incident happens, is it immediate with the, the uproar and, and all of that, or does it take a day or two or what happens? It's within a few hours. Um, so this happened during the daytime. I think my husband got home that day, like at five or six, and we had just sat down for dinner and he was more exhausted than usual. And he had literally just opened his mouth to tell me like, you know, I just had a really rough day. People just are really hating cops more than they normally do. And he was about to kind of debrief me on his day and our ring camera notification went off. And when I looked at it on my phone, there was like a group of people on our driveway. So this was within just a few hours that this video got posted. It got some traction. People, you know, looked up his name, found my name, they got our address, our phone number, our, our parents' addresses, um, and that all started just getting leaked repeatedly online. So it was, I mean, it kind of just like caught on like wildfire. He didn't even know there was an issue, right? Just you're sitting down for dinner and then all of a sudden there's people at your house. There's not any word, you know, nobody at the department had any issue with anything that had happened, right? No, of course not. And I was, so people showed up in our driveway. Um, and then he got a call shortly after from his buddy who was working the night shift. And his buddy said something along the lines of like, Hey, there's like a lot of like activity around your video. And I'll never forget. My husband was like standing in the kitchen, his phone was to his ear. And he was like, no shit. Like, like just shocked. Like this was a very normal like police encounter, like why would there be activity around it? And we didn't realize at the time that, you know, the subject tried to connect his incident with the George Floyd incident by using that hashtag. And it just kind of like all caught fire, literally. Let's talk about that a little bit. How did, if you can get into it, how did you guys end up getting the people away from your house or what happened? Um, so I'm trying to remember there's a few police cars showed up from like not only La Mesa, because we lived like right on the border of La Mesa and Sister City. So um, some patrol cars came from La Mesa and the Sister City and kind of just like kept people on public property and not on our property. But it was like the, the traction had only just begun in terms of like our personal information leaking. So 
Um, there was, you know, multiple people showing up and walking the area and online there was like death threats. And then there was like a larger protest uh, being planned for like a couple days after that, which took over the entire block of our neighborhood. It was just absolutely atrocious. People had like signs and it was just so bad. The good news is our wonderful neighbors eventually ran all the protesters out. But I mean, talk about a cautionary tale of how important it is to have your information protected online if you are a police family, because we, um, you know, we knew prior to this incident, we knew that there were companies that you could pay a few bucks to that would scrub your information from the internet. We knew theoretically the importance of that, but we just never, ever thought it, we would need it. We never thought protesters would come to our house. Um, and shame on us because had we taken, you know, just five minutes out of our day to sign up for one of those um, services like officerprivacy.com is a really great one. We probably could have still been in our home right now. And we had just purchased that home like less than a year prior. We had just gotten married. Like that was our home base. And we unfortunately lost it. We had to sell it and move for safety purposes because like the mob just never quit. Once they had our address, um, they were just relentless and they tried to, you know, scare us, threaten our lives, threaten violence. They, they literally brought those, you know, nefarious intentions to our doorstep. So we had to, we had to move. Um, so it was like this whole ongoing thing. We were, we, uh, I think we were displaced for like over a month. Cause it was like never quite safe to come home. We got multiple notifications of like, uh, there's like, you know, people targeting your house tonight, or there's like a, de a new death threat today. So uh, we had to stay with family for over a month. It was just horrible to deal with on top of like the use of force investigation was starting. Um, so it was just a lot of unnecessary trauma and stress that could have been avoided had we just signed up for a company like officerprivacy.com. Yeah, which is uh, the sponsor of the show. But that <laughs> I, I hope the guys that are listening to this now take that shit seriously. Do something like that. Do something to protect yourself online because especially going forward, it's it's going to keep happening. So did Matthew ever return to work after that, like work a normal shift? Or was that like the last shift he'd worked? That to this day is the last shift he worked. Um, he was scheduled to work like the very next day after this incident to do like an early morning SWAT training. Um, but the, the you know command called that night and said, just come in in the morning and do your report. Um, so he never ended up working that SWAT shift. So that, you know, May 27th is the last shift he ever worked with the Mesa. Okay. So then let's go to the next phase of what happened. So obviously there's a lot of, well, I don't, I want to, I don't want to skip over the, the looting and rioting. So within like days of this happening, they basically, my understanding is they burnt down downtown La Mesa, right? They sure did. It was awful. They, they burned it down. They vandalized local businesses. They looted. It was so heartbreaking. Cause like I just said, we lived there. Um, that was our, our community. We took our dogs to the vet there. We went grocery shopping there. That was our, our home. And it was just so devastating to see that play out, um, you know, all in the name of social justice. Um, so yeah, the, the police department was not at all prepared for a community response of that size and that magnitude. And so it was kind of embarrassing for the police department as well, because it didn't do anything to protect its city. Um, and I mean, if you look at a lot of these things that happen, then I don't want to dive too far away. All this bad shit that happened is basically because cops were told to stand down. And mm -hmm. I don't know if that's the same case in La Mesa. I mean, not to get way off track, but the day we're recording, this is the day that, you know, Kyle Rittenhouse was acquitted. 
there were no cops to be seen until after that happened. Right. And I'm not necessarily shitting on those cops, but if people were being arrested for breaking the law, that might not happen. I'm just throwing it out there. It's really interesting. So you're, you're right. And then officers specifically at La Mesa were told not to engage with protesters. Um, protesters were throwing rocks at officers. They were throwing, you know, bottles of pee at officers. Like these officers were in such grave danger and also trying to protect the police department. And they were told, they were given orders not to engage with these people who were, you know, looting and destroying the city around them. There was also, um, you know, again, just, the PD was so unprepared and unable to protect the community that mutual aid, I don't know what it's called, maybe where you are, but other police departments had to be called in to help. I think the National Guard came out to help. Like it was an absolute mess and all because this police department was not structured, was not trained, was not prepared to support its citizens, which is I think a really big tragedy here that gets overlooked in the whole scheme of things. Yeah, no one hears about, I mean, you have to dig to look into what is in the aftermath of, of what happened. Mm-hmm. Nobody mm-hmm. talks They're- about that because it's that's not important to the message. Well, yeah. the narrative, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. So I guess the next part of the story is, so Matthew, he goes back to work and then they start the use of force investigation, correct? Yeah, so he goes in, writes his report, he gets put on admin leave while they do the IA or the use of force investigation. Um, And we, you know, well, just a half step back really quick. Goes in, writes the report, and then the city burns down the next day, I think. And then immediately after that, the city leaders emerged from the riots, absolutely cowering. Like they were terrified of the mob. And so they very quickly made a plan to kind of make Matthew, the sacrificial lamb to quiet that same mob and prevent further destruction of their city. So like literally the next day after the riots, the city approached Matthew with a six figure offer to resign voluntarily. And we were shocked because, you know, we knew his use of force was within policy, even though the video is viral. We're like, you know, that's, and you know, this like use of force is a normal part of policing. His use of force was very low level, almost at the bottom of the use of force spectrum. And he knew it was within policy. So he declined their six-figure offer to resign because he knew he didn't do anything wrong. And he knew that to resign would look like resignation in lieu of termination. Um, And he loves being a police officer. Like his biggest, you know, his priority in all of this was just to make sure he was protecting his ability to be a police officer going forward. Right. So we say no thank you to their bribe. Um, And then La Mesa city leaders scolded Matthew for being selfish. And they told him that even if he is cleared for use of force, they are committed to finding other ways to fire him, like beyond just use of force. So um, is that something that was in writing or is that something they told him? So like, yes and no. So uh, they basically, they approached him with this bribe. They brought the wife in, they brought me in to kind of, I think they thought that like, they could appeal to my heartstrings or that I'd be weaker than him. And I'd be like encouraging him to run away scared and that backfired on them. Um, so those were in-person conversations um, that are documented that we do have uh, documented. So it was kind of a combination of like both. Okay. I gotcha. Okay. So you go in and you say, basically, fuck, no, we're not doing this. It's not right. Which I honestly, I think a lot of people would have basically taken that, taken the money and like whatever, And I think there's something to be said for standing up and doing what's right, especially if you haven't done anything wrong. 
that use of force, and, and if you're listening to this and you haven't seen the video, go watch that video. If you're a cop, and, and maybe this doesn't happen everywhere, but in my experience, somebody stands up and you pushing them down is even stronger than what he did. But somebody stands up on you while you're in contact him, you have the right to defend yourself and stay safe. Him placing him down onto the bench or whatever it was is nothing. I know. If you haven't done that in your career, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, that could be a daily occurrence. It was literally nothing. And I can't believe it blew up the way it did, even with that hashtag. But people were just, I don't know, there was... I think collectively, it was a shit storm. Yeah. Yeah, it was. And I think my interpretation of it is people were redirecting whatever emotions or outrage they had from George Floyd. This was immediately after that. And actually, we saw a lot of, there was like maybe a handful of police interactions that happened right after George Floyd that like blew up on mainstream media. Um, and I feel like Matthews was maybe the first. And so there's kind of this redirection of all this like outrage and emotion bubbling over from George Floyd. And then this is the very next police interaction that kind of catches some attention. And in my opinion, that that emotion gets redirected to Matthew's incident. And that's partly why it just became such, it, it just became larger than life. Like you said, all over a very low level use of force that when other officers look at this video, time and time again, the first comment we get is like, you could have done so much more and been justified because this oh, person was absolutely. acting I so saw him. ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> Probably not anymore. You're not allowed to defend yourself as a cop. I know, but I know. That dude standing up, on a cop and taking an aggressive bladed stance. Yep. Yeah. And I think too, just with the size differential, like Matthew is six, four, he's 230 pounds. He's a yoked guy, very strong. And so for people to like put in perspective, like I, Amari Johnson, the subject in this case is much shorter, much skinnier, much smaller. And it's like for all, for Matthew to only put his hands on Johnson's shoulders and like put him in a seated position, Matthew could have pushed him into next week and been justified. And so it's like, even within the confines of a low level use of force, like within just within going hands-on, Matthew was still very composed and I think showed a lot of restraint. Oh, he absolutely did. He absolutely did. And, you know, even me, I, he, you know, he would have got dumped. No, yeah. like no doubt about it because yeah. he's, you don't do that was, to a cop. He was posing a serious threat. I mean, I think at one point someone counted the amount of times he was told to sit down and then you count the amount of times he's not only sprung up, right? So he's non-compliant, but he gets inches from Matthew's face. And like you said, he's in a bladed stance. He's like, like clapping back verbally. And it's just like, this person is posing a huge threat, not just to Matthew's safety, but like the public, he's being outrageous. Um, and it's a police officer's job. You have to control the situation. You have to maintain officer safety and the safety of the public. So, um, you know, it's like, it's sad, but Matthew is just doing his job. And here we are 18 months, like completely in battle just because of a, of a hashtag, essentially. Yeah, absolutely. So the department bribes you and then he's put on admin leave. And then what happens? Um, so we uh, decline their bribe to resign. And then they, like I said, issue that veiled threat and said that we're selfish for not seeing the greater good. And they threaten that, you know, even if you are cleared for use of force, we can find other ways to like fire you. So um, essentially what they did, the city council at La Mesa mandated that this investigation be hired by, be handled by an outside firm instead of like IA or internal affairs, um, which is interesting because essentially what that does is it gives the city, right? They're like the client, it gives them, they're the paying customer, they get con to control the results that they get. So they pay this firm, I think it's called Norman Traub and Associates. They pay them almost $100,000 and they basically told them, 
look like this probably going to be a fine use of force. Um, so these are some other avenues to explore as a means to potentially fire this guy. Um, so what they ultimately did was they took issue with like trivial word choice in Matthew's police report, things like you and I just talked about that are blatantly clear in the video, uh, like things like the subject taking a bladed stance. They basically dug their heels in and said, well, we don't agree that that's a bladed stance. And therefore that gives them um, enough, I guess, leeway to move forward with allegations of officer dishonesty. And so that kind of touches off this whole termination part of our saga the last year um, and also ultimately leads to criminal charges that we're about to go to trial over. Okay. And for the sake of this podcast, I think we're going to stick to the criminal charges part of it. So do the charges get filed before or after he's um, let go? After. Um, so the investigation results come back and he's cleared for use of force, surprise, surprise. But then they're like hiding behind their silly allegations of officer dishonesty. So he gets terminated. And then we, of course, appeal that. And then um, as soon as like our appeal for that is shot down by the city, then the DA files charges. But what's interesting, and you've alluded to, like there's a lot of layers to this, is while that process is playing out that I just said, so he gets terminated, we appeal that. And during that time, the city leaders are working with the DA to file criminal charges. During that exact time, this same subject, Amari Johnson, leads San Diego police on a felony vehicle chase. And he crashes his car twice. He totals his car. He endangers like other uh, pedestrians and drivers. And he fled, he flees on foot. He gets away. And San Diego police officers who positively identified him uh, recommend criminal charges to the DA. And the DA, I, like talk about like foresight, the DA says, no, we're not going to charge him for a felony vehicle pursuit because we're going to try and charge this cop instead. And we don't want Amari Johnson being a convicted felon when he testifies against Matthew Degas. So like, I don't know how you want to unpack that, but it's like, it really does speak to this like high level of corruption and collusion happening all for a justified use of force. Well, I have lots of opinions on that. <laughs> One of those being it's, it's basically, it's tough on cops and soft on crime. Mm -hmm. And look, even if they pled this guy, because th there's a good chance they would have pled him down to a misdemeanor. If they charge this guy, he's going to say, fuck you. I'm not going to be your star witness. Mm -hmm. They know that. So what, do you, what are you going to do? They're going to do the wrong thing, of course. And they're like, well, we got to fucking hang this cop because that's going to appease the mob. Right. So that's how that happens. And by the way, I know it happened because I remember reading that in the uh, news when it happened. Mm -hmm. Google that shit. It is tough as fuck to find now. And, and maybe it's because, you know, the court record got scrubbed or something, but you can't find articles on it anymore, which is incredible. It is. And but the funny thing is, is felony evasions are in headline news in San Diego almost weekly because it's a big fucking deal. When someone does that, that is a huge threat to public safety, to officer safety. They are immediately arrested and thrown in jail as they damn well should be. But when Amari Johnson does it, he gets a pass, right? And so the headlines are there, just not for Amari Johnson's story. Um, but it really kind of reinforces the the fact that like you can't you can't lead police on a felony vehicle chase. You just can't. It's a big deal, and it is a normal thing that people get thrown in jail for, but only certain people, right? Yeah, it's amazing how that works out. We'll jump ahead a little bit, and you you tell me if we need to go back. But so the city lets go lets him go, and then the criminal charges are filed. 
when does that happen? That's later that, in the year, right? It happened uh, right in the beginning of 2021. Like the first couple of days in January is when they filed criminal charges. Okay. And what are the, what criminal charges exactly is our Matthew facing? Get ready to laugh. Uh, so it's a felony count of falsifying a police report. So um, specifically, they're trying to say, so like I described earlier, smoking was Matthew's initial observation from a distance. He saw Johnson doing a hand to face gesture, which is consistent with smoking. Um, I don't think I mentioned this, but like that same hand to face gesture was also witnessed by another uh, person in the investigation. Um, it was also on security camera footage, right? So it's reasonable. It's consistent with smoking. As I mentioned, you know, he wasn't detained. He wasn't cited. He wasn't arrested for smoking. Um, so we're really talking about an immaterial observation. Um, and then there's also case law that defends officer perception. So all of that to say, they're saying Matthew intentionally lied about the observation of smoking to come up with a reason to contact Johnson which is bullshit because as I mentioned earlier, you know, he's there and other officers are there to talk to everyone on the property to check for fare evasion. Um, and then the other thing that they're saying Matthew intentionally lied about was, was the body language of Amari Johnson. So specifically Matthew wrote in his report that Johnson took a bladed stance and began to ball his fists when he was standing like, you know, two centimeters away from Matthew. So these are observations that are very clearly like visible and depicted in the video. And the DA is trying to say that it did not happen. Um, you know, you, you alluded to it earlier and, you know, we've had like the, the fortune of connecting with a lot of really big names in law enforcement, um, you know, during the last year or so. So even officers like Brandon Tatum or Mike, the cop, they watch the video and they call out the exact same observations that you just called out, bladed stance and then bald fist. So um, it really is, wild we're going to go to trial over a felony count of observations that absolutely happened but it just kind of goes to show you how desperate the da is to just like grasp at straws find something to take this guy to trial over so that they can show the mob like look we prosecute cops we're a progressive da's office um and it's really sickening because there's I mean, there's a human behind these headlines and we're like, we're a good family um, that's really kind of been drugged through hell now for almost a year and a half, again, just for a hashtag. It's insane. Yeah, it's, it's insane. I, I gotta be honest. I kind of thought when, cause the prelim just came through, I, I didn't see how there's probable cause. I know. Preach and it. It just, it's mind boggling. I mean, okay, we'll start with a smoking thing. I, I think I read somewhere there was testimony from like a bus driver or something that said, well, uh, he wasn't smoking. Mm -hmm. Okay. You know, you have one person saying he was and one person saying he wasn't. That's not probable cause. Right. And then the bawling of the fist in the bladed stance, it's a, it's interpretation, right? Like, are they saying like, oh, it wasn't bladed because it wasn't an exact, you know, 45 degree angle. I don't know what the fuck they're trying to say, but it's, it's, it's insane to me that this is moving forward based on those charts. I mean, Based on any charges, there's nothing there. It's a normal, everyday police contact. And because some asshole puts it online, basically you have this guy who's a fucking giant asshole acting like an asshole, and he is the victim. We're normalizing being an asshole. And I've talked about in my podcast, the reason our world fucked is because everybody acts like an asshole all the time. This guy being a prime example. He's not a victim of shit. He no, didn't have his fucking fair pass. He's and a fake victim, yeah. I can't speak for California, but in Colorado, the train stations there, 
if you it's literally a sign that says hey if you're here and you don't have fare you cannot be here and it's a crime yeah i think there's like 10 signs at this particular trolley station that literally say can't smoke here you have to have a trolley pass to be on this property like it's very clear um but again right a city burned down everyone politicians especially are afraid of the big bad mob and they have to try and do something to you know kick the can down the road so that BLM doesn't show up at their house and protest at their house. These are, I mean, the the DA, the city leaders, judges, these are elected officials. These are politicians, right? And so you just see a lot of really cowardly bowing to the mob in this case specifically, because as you said, there's no case here. Like it it is absolutely laughable um, that an officer is going to be going to trial over a felony count for something like this. And mind you, like La Mesa's own use of force expert confirms that Amari Johnson was aggressively resisting, was being ridiculous. Other officers interviewed for the investigation say the same thing. This guy's pre-assaultive, looks like he's going to fight Matthew. And so they're all found to be credible by investigators. But when Matthew is describing that same demeanor, the DA is trying to say that he's a liar. Like this is literally what it's, you know, what it's coming down to. It's like police officers are trained to look for specific body language that indicate there's like threatening behavior at hand. But when they cite those in their police reports, they're liars. Like what precedent are we setting here? Here's what's fun is when body cameras first came out, it was like, hey, it's just like another that we were told, hey, it's just another investigative tool for you guys. Now, as time went on, if something happened out of body cam or maybe you didn't have your body camera on or or whatever it was, the DA stopped taking it. If the body cam's not there, yeah, the cops are automatically liars. Mm-hmm. And now when you have this case where the body cam exonerates the cop, mm-hmm. it's ignored. Completely ignored. Like, so this guy, Johnson, was arrested for assault on a police officer. He strikes Matthew. It's on body-worn camera. And then, like, later on in the interaction, Johnson admits on body-worn camera to smacking Matthew. And yet the DA dropped charges against Johnson and then pursues charges against Matthew. So to your point, it like it almost, if it's not on the body-worn camera, the cop's a liar, but even sometimes if it is on the body-worn camera, the DA is not gonna touch it for political reasons. Um, so it's really laughable. Um, but I, the DA here in San Diego is a joke. Like she's openly condoning that it's okay to assault and resist and disrespect our police officers. Um, and essentially we see, we see this playing out with her. Like she's coddling a criminal while persecuting a cop for political reasons. So it's just insane down here. Like I said before, I'm, I'm glad I left where I left because in boys and girls, if you work in some of these other places, Chicago, New York, Philly, Baltimore, Oh God, anywhere run. you're going to, you're going to get the same shit. Yeah. I think to be completely fair, I think a lot of it, what happened with your situation was because it was right after George Floyd. Mm-hmm. If it was two days before, um, maybe two months after, probably not a big deal at all. Doesn't make the news, whatever. But now the city and the DA has kind of dug their feet in. And I think to them, if they back off, then that's, that's crow on them. You know, they don't want to eat the crow. So they're going to just keep fucking going at it. Exactly. Yeah. No, the DA here has like a weekly meeting with BLM. So she literally, she's stuck. She can't back off of it at this point, which every single time we show up in court, it's an absolute like three ring circus on the DA side of the courthouse. They're just, they're a mess. What do you mean by that? Because so like you brought up prelim earlier, right? So this is like their opportunity to really like 
dig in and lean into this like case that they've supposedly got against this police officer. So the first witness that they call up is like a very senior uh, officer at La Mesa. She's the person that organized the trolley detail that Matthew was working on May 27th. Um, she's like a very successful, highly respected officer, very experienced. And I think that they're thinking, I don't know what they're thinking, but essentially in her testimony, this is the opening testimony of the prelim. She confirms that, you know, Matthew's stop of, you know, Matthew interacting with Johnson was reasonable. It was aligned with their training, that it was a legal detention, that Johnson was an absolute maniac for being non-compliant and getting in Matthew's face that way. And, you know, being in such close proximity to his like tool belt. And then they put Amari Johnson on the stand and he's an even bigger disaster for them. He's like dropping F-bombs. He can't even positively identify Matthew in court. He, when asked, you know. He couldn't positively, oh my. See, and that shit doesn't even make the news. I remember reading the articles and it it made him sound like, you know, he was a fucking scholar. Not even close. No, and it's kind of ironic because for the last year and a half, Amari Johnson has been crying to the public that he's so traumatized by this officer who did all these terrible things to him. But when Matthew is, you know, what, eight feet in front of him in court, he can't like he he wrongfully identified Matthew's brother, who was like sitting way back in the court, like where the audience sits. Um, Additionally, I think during the prelim. So I told you, like on body ward camera footage, Johnson admits to striking Matthew. And so when Matthew's attorney confronts Johnson and says, well, why did you say that? What did you mean? Johnson deflects and says, well, no, I wasn't, I didn't admit to hitting him. I was trying to form a connection with Matthew. I was trying to build rapport. I was trying to get him to open up to me. I don't think it did any favors for the DA. So that's what I mean is like their case is unfounded. The people that they're calling up to like further their case are doing the exact opposite. They're actually bolstering our case, if anything. And it's like, if they really want to take this to trial, like, let's do it. We're we're leaning in fully because we know that the facts are on our side. There is over a dozen case law, you know, so like legal precedents that back Matthew. Um, and at the end of the day, like they have, they have an unfounded case that they're grasping at straws for. So it's like, we're, we're not afraid to go to trial. We'll do it. Um, they just continue to embarrass themselves. I can't believe the judge let that go. Mm-hmm. I, I sure can't did. believe that. So when when does the trial start? Uh, so it starts the Monday after Thanksgiving. Can you believe that? Happy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Now, is Matthew facing jail time or fines or have they said or or what's what's the possible penalty? Um, I think technically it's like up to three years in prison. Um, yeah, I think I said that right. Up to three years in prison. Um, but I don't know like if, if that even came to be, I don't know that prison time would actually come into play given like the life choices he's made and that he's a police officer. But I mean, yeah, I guess theoretically it could result in prison time. Okay. Additionally, you guys have more to fight right now because there's, I don't know if you can get into it or not, but you know, you're appealing being fired and then there's some lawsuits too, right? Yeah. So we're, there's like the criminal track and then there's the admin admin case. Um, so that's where we appeal being fired. And then there's like the civil suit. So Amari Johnson is suing La Mesa and Matthew for, I think, oh, I think it's like excessive force. And I think it's like violation of his fourth amendment, basically saying like that the detention wasn't legal, which is bullshit. So yeah, and we're literally fighting wars on every single front. Yeah, well, hopefully, you know, the criminal trial goes the way it should and the dominoes start to just kind of fall. It's about time. We've been through it for a year and a half now. Like we just want, we feel like our our lives and our normalcy has been 
held hostage essentially. And it's like, I, I tell everyone, it's like, I obviously am advocating for my husband and we're, you know, praying and, and working toward a victory, but this is really about so much more than just us. Like this is, this is an active threat to the entire law enforcement community in America because it's happening to us now, but let it be a cautionary tale to every police family that this could be you next week, next year, next month. Like every police officer is one call away from being the new Matthew Degas. And we as a community need to be aware of that um, and actively be holding the line against this woke mob, you know, lynch mob mentality that's literally, you know, criminalizing cops and coddling criminals. It's insane. I don't want to be too hopeful, but I do feel that people have just kind of had enough. You know, the the silent majority are kind of starting to rise up and they're just done with this shit. Part of it could be it's not an election year right now, but I just the way things are starting to go, I think people are just tired of it. I agree. I think that people are fed up. It feels that way, I guess, on my side of the country as well. People are really tired of progressive politics trying to police the profession of policing. Like, there's just no space for it, right? Where we're going to like, go easy on criminals and give them a pass and then crucify cops. I think, at least here in San Diego, the way that that's played out, because here... In our community, like Matthew's case is a headline news story every, every single time there's an update. And so this case is very front of mind for every single cop in San Diego. And what that looks like is the end of proactivity here. Um, and so you see crime surging, like insanely high crime rate, violent crime, shootings, gang activity, homicide, all that terrible stuff is through the roof here in San Diego because Cops are spending their shift behind, you know, the grocery store instead of like going out and proactively looking to prevent crime. So I think people are fed up with that. They're fed up with this villainizing of police officers, this demonization of like police tactics. Um, and then I think the the flip side of that coin is like there's a huge threat to public safety now because crime is just rampant. And I agree with you. I think locally, I think regionally, I think nationally, people are fed up. Um, with the woke mob kind of being given free reign. And it's time to bring this country back to law and order. It's time to hold people accountable. It's time to, it's time to celebrate and reinforce like being reasonable with police officers, right? Like, I don't think anyone ever in enjoys interacting with a police officer, but be reasonable, right? Like do what, comply with basic demands, do not unnecessarily escalate a police interaction and then cry about it because it got escalated. Like you escalated it. So I agree with you. I think across the country, a majority of people are just fed up. This has all been, I mean, for us, a year and a half of absolute bullshit. Yeah. And I wanted to hit on two things you said. The first being, you know, we're teaching people to be unreasonable with the cops now. We're teaching people every police interaction is a chance to test the waters and to push buttons and take things as far as they can go. And you see the results of that. The second point, which kind of leads into that tried and true, and everybody says it, and it's a cliche, but no one hates a bad cop worse than good cops. Mm -hmm. I think if a cop does something wrong, they should be crucified. Absolutely. I absolutely believe that if Agreed. a cop does something wrong, they should be absolutely fucking hung out to dry because cops are supposed to be better. You're, you know, if you're enforcing the law, you better be doing things right. In Matthew's case, 
he's being hung out to dry for absolutely fucking nothing. Not Amen. a damn thing. And so we need to, you know, stand up and defend that kind of shit. I look, I run a meme page and I make fun of cops 24 seven because I was one. We have our shortcomings. No doubt. This isn't one. There's, there's nothing to this. I really feel for you guys. And I got to say, I wanted to give a shout out to you because here you are um, freshly married into being a police wife and you're going out and doing a lot of shit that I don't know other wives would do. So I applaud you for that because you're really sticking your neck out there for him. And I, I do appreciate that. Ah, that's so kind. Thank you so much. I mean, yeah, I'm definitely pounding the drum. I mean, because I feel like, you know, at first they went after my husband's credibility and then they went after his livelihood and now they're going after his freedom. So you're damn right. I'm going to pick up my shield and I'm going to go to battle to set the record straight about what happened on my husband's on duty incident. And I, I, I get that a lot of people saying like, oh, I don't think I could do it. But until you're in the hot seat, like I truly do believe like the fighting spirit, the warrior spirit is in everybody. And that until you're in that hot seat, you just don't realize that it's, it's in you and you activate it and you do what you have to do to protect your family. So thank you for the compliment. But um, I don't think you're giving the police community enough credit. We're fighters, man. All of us, we have to be. Yeah, I don't know. I've seen a few people lay down when they should have, but well, and then others stand up when they shouldn't either. And they should just stand up and be a man and say, yeah, I fucked up. But Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a different topic for a different show. One thing I did want to hit before we go, because I was curious, is there a local police union out in La Mesa? Yes. So La Mesa is a very small department. Like I think it has 60 sworn officers. Um, So they don't belong to like the FOP nationally or anything like that. They have a very small union in La Mesa. um, And they thankfully out here in California, their pro rack is what it's called. So they're the ones that provide like the legal defense funds for police officers, um, which is good to a certain point. And unfortunately for us, um, it's something we didn't really learn until we had to learn the hard way. Like I always thought all legal fees for police officers are covered by their union, right? Um, But we learned in this journey that the police union only covers like a part of fees. So to date, I think we've paid out of pocket like over $80,000 for stuff that his union doesn't cover. And it's like, you never, as a police family, you never think that there's going to be this additional out of pocket cost to just defend yourself, right? You, you assume that you're covered. So yes, we have a police union. No, they don't cover everything. Um, and so that's kind of another reason why it's been so important to speak out is because, you know, we, that's a lot of money to us. Um, and we're, of course, we want to advance all of our cases um, so that Matthew can be cleared and reinstated and we can be victorious just across the board, but that comes at a price, right? So we have, there's this really awesome foundation called Pipe Hitter Foundation. It's founded by Eddie and Andrea Gallagher, who have an incredible story themselves, um, kind of similar to ours, but on the military side of things. So um, they set up a, a donation page specifically for Matthew, where you can make tax deductible donations to Matthew's legal defense fund. Um, we get hundred percent of the gifts Pitter Foundation does not take any portion um, as a profit. Um, so we have a fundraising page. There's also an Instagram page um, that you can follow for case updates. Um, because like I said, we're, we're getting big and we're getting loud about this injustice. And ultimately our goal is to kind of beat, beat these goons at their own game, right? Um, so the Instagram account is Clear Officer Degas. Um, it's D as in David, 
A-G-E-S, and then the link in our bio will send you to the donation page. Um, we also have a t-shirt that we're selling to help raise funds for legal funds. So, you know, the more that people hear about our story, they, we get the question more and more of like, how can I help? How can I stand with you guys? Um, and those are the three best answers right there is, you know, follow the Instagram, make a tax deductible donation on our page or buy a t-shirt and support the cause because this is the fight of our lives. And, um, you know, I don't think we would have gotten this far and just felt so empowered had it not been for this incredible law enforcement community that's rallying behind us. So it's people like you who, um, you know, share your incredible platform with us to help me tell the story and to spread more awareness about what's, what's happening to us. So I, I appreciate you making the time to have me on your podcast. Oh, I wouldn't call it incredible though. You had me up till you called it incredible. It's poor, but I do appreciate that. Yeah. I think that kind of wraps things up. Is there anything that else you wanted to throw out there? Maybe I missed anything else. Um, did we talk about the polygraph? I feel no, like we talked about it before. We um, talked about the polygraph kind of, before, but yeah, let's, let's bring it up so people just have that in their minds too. Yeah. It's just another seed I kind of want to plant because it's like, you know, the media as we see in all of these kind of like sensational cases that are playing out across the country, the media is only going to focus on what affirms their narrative, right? And we all know the political agenda of the media is to be divisive. So the polygraph kind of is something that I think is a huge deal. Obviously, obviously it's not admissible in court, but Matthew voluntarily took and passed a polygraph about the May 27th incident um, you know, further proving there was no racial bias, there was no dishonesty. Um, and that's a big deal because it's like the, I know polygraphs are not admissible in court, but it's like the court of public opinion has been in session on Matthew for a year and a half now. So here you go, polygraph results that prove that there was no racial bias, no dishonesty. And again, the media is not gonna pick up on it. The DA is not gonna like touch that. But I think the public deserves to know, like this is an honest, good, hardworking police officer that didn't lie about anything, that didn't do anything wrong. His use of force was justified. And simply because the lynch mob screamed loud enough, this officer's livelihood has been taken away. His credibility has been taken away. And now his freedom is on the line for over a year and a half. Like our standard for treatment for the brave men and women in blue needs to be different. This is unacceptable. Absolutely. I 110, 110% agree. Now, something we do on my podcast is we have something called the word of the day. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is I like to throw something out or let the guests throw something out that for cops to try and sneak into reports or over the radio <laughs> during the next couple of days. So do you have a fun word that our friends out on patrol can try and use? I want to say Degas, but I don't want to get anyone in trouble. So uh, a fun word. What do people normally say? Like goofy stuff? Like penis oh, it's, wrinkle it's, or what it's penis wrinkle okay it's penis it. wrinkle yeah, i love it's, it it's penis wrinkle that would be pretty impressive if somebody could fit that don't say that on the radio you'll get in trouble but i'm sure it find its way into a report so it needs to well i don't know these days reports are being picked apart as we learn the hard way yeah um man i hope someday my booger report gets world famous it's classic <laughs> now another thing that we like to drop on the podcast is i like to ask guest if uh, they have any imparting words of wisdom they just want to share with the world and get out there? Ooh, I would say the first is just that like it's easy to listen to these stories and think oh how horrible for that family and then you know the podcast ends and you go on with your life but 
I cannot, I implore your listeners to understand like that this atrocity, what's happening to Matthew Degas and our family is coming to a city and a police department near you. Like today it's us next week, next month, next year, it's you or a cop you love. So I can't reinforce that enough is to just be on alert. Like the entire law enforcement community is under attack and we have to band together and draw a line in the sand and protect each other against the wicked and the woke. That's kind of my parting wisdom, if you will. I can't tell you how much I like the wicked and the woke. Mm, me too. That's it's gonna got a the, ring to it, right? That's going to be the title of this episode. That's fucking fantastic. It came to me once and like, I can't let it go. It's just too good. It's very fitting. Yeah. You got to make like t-shirts or mugs with that or something. The yeah. Wicked and the woke. I'll think of something. All right. Well, thank you, Christina, for being on the podcast. Of course, if you want to support the podcast, there's a couple ways to do that. Uh, at the end of every single podcast, there's a little link that says support this podcast. Steal your mom's credit card and uh, drop me a dollar here or there. It helps me out. Keep the lights on down here in the dungeon. I have merch, T-shirts, all that good stuff. Uh, it's Christmas is coming, so get that those orders in sooner. You're not going to get them before Christmas, and that's awkward. There's also poorly made Christmas ornaments. I got links to that, too. It'll make your Christmas tree pop. And then, of course, uh, take care of the fine sponsors, which is uh, Office for Privacy for this episode. And I will add in on this one, too. Take care of our brother, man. Let's take care of Officer Dages. I'm going to say it fucking wrong. Officer Dages. Did I say it right? Dages. Vegas, like the Vegas. city Vegas. Fuck me. I'll get it right. <laughs> yeah, but let's take care of him and help him with his fight. And then, of course, you know, take care of your brothers and sisters. The holidays are coming. That can be hard on everybody. So with that said, uh, remember, I love most of you and have a good night. <laughs>